almost heaven West Virginia Blue Ridge Mountains Shenandoah River Life is old there Older than the trees Younger than the mountains Blowing like a breeze Country roads Take me, huh? <laughs> All aboard the roller coaster of death, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> welcome to a put out your plates and uh, welcome a brand new pipe and hot serving of dish and bout destination with your boys who love toys, Eric and Jeremy. My name's Eric Keppel. And my name is Jeremy Schmidt. Roller coaster of death. <laughs> you know, Jeremy, I just realized that the your boys who love toys bit only really in the context of like us covering the Chucky movies, which is when that started, right. uh, it makes sense. But saying it now, we just sound like perverts. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and anytime you say boys who love toys, everyone just immediately assumes sex toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Jeremy, what the hell is going on with you? <sighs> Eric, not much. I I wasn't sure if I was going to bring this up on the podcast, but it's been a sad week so far uh, for me. One of my yeah. all-time favorite singer-songwriters and uh, the subject of probably my... I don't know. It's It might be my favorite documentary, but... Oh, yeah. Maybe in the he's top a Texan, five. right? Yeah, he's also a Texan. Yeah, Daniel Johnston passed away at the age of 58 of a heart attack. It's uh, it was such a bummer. It shook me, my man. Yeah, I'm still sad about it, too. Yeah, it happened uh, yesterday as we're recording this. And uh, if you don't know who Daniel Johnston is, uh, regardless of like what kind of music you like or, or uh, anything, you should watch the documentary The Devil and Daniel Johnston because it's just like a really interesting uh, story about someone's like insane life. I know, man. Who it was happens to be a great songwriter, right? Yeah, and it, it's like it's a documentary. I remember it was one of the first documentaries I saw that was like kind of I don't know. Did that sort of um, uh, I don't know, like utilize like modern documentary techniques to tell like a very creative and interesting. Um, an interesting story, like in a different kind of way, if that makes sense. So, like, like yeah. I don't know, just I thought I thought the editing techniques in it. It, it, was very, it reminded me of like something like Errol Morris might do. But I saw that I saw Devil and Daniel Johnson years before I'd ever check out my first Errol Morris documentary, and um, I saw it in theaters when I was like a kid. I love, I love. I mean, not really a kid, like probably like early twenties late teens but i love i loved it and, and i remember like really connecting with that guy daniel johnston um yeah that was the first documentary i've probably the first documentary i've seen where i like actually liked it you know what i mean like at the, i think i saw it when i was maybe a freshman or sophomore in high school and at that point i'd only seen documentaries in like biology class and shit and like social <laughs> studies so like right. nothing like was presented to me as like whoa this is like cool or something i'd be into yeah but, it's very stylish yeah. the the person who made that documentary um trugman is that his name um i don't know yeah but uh he he's made like 
a number of documentaries. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Jeff uh, Fjorzig. Uh, Fjorzig. He did another documentary called Author, the JT Leroy story, and it's um, it's it's also incredible. It's but it, and it's done in that same that same sort of Errol Morris style where you're like you're shooting a lot of extra. I don't know, like uh, extra stuff to put into your talking head documentary, right? So it's like a, right. a lot of like like slow zooms on like Daniel Johnston's like old living areas and um, re- just really cool editing techniques between home footage and like whenever they would play one of his cassettes, I remember it was just like a close up of a cassette like rolling like while while you heard like either one yeah. of his songs or or him talking. Um, but yeah, no, I mean it, it was a, it was a huge bummer. I went ahead and watched Devil and Daniel Johnson um, last uh, yesterday. Uh, to, it's on, it's free on Amazon Prime right now, so if anyone wants to check oh, nice. it out, they're, 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 I I definitely recommend it. But um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I was thinking about doing uh, sort of like a documentary. Which, by the way, we're gonna start doing um, the. Uh, we do monthly, weekly bonus episodes, and for one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to cover one or two Tales from the Crypt episodes a month uh, for episodes, and we're just going to like start, so th- this next one is going to be literally episode one, season one, Yeah, and we're just going to go <laughs> through it, and I'm like, so stoked for it. I know. But I was also thinking about like potentially uh pitching the idea of like a, a, a sort of a documentary series where we talk about different documentaries uh i don't know if 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 you guys are if if the the uh the fans are into that idea let us know because uh, i got a lot of a lot of documentaries since i've seen i would say the devil and daniel johnston like yeah like i said it like opened my mind up to the fact that there are cool documentaries that right. can be good right and have you watched any of like Werner herzog's documentaries or or errol morris's documentaries i saw the uh what's the famous uh errol morris one the the thin, thin blue, blue line, line is that what it's yeah. called yeah i saw that one um Werner herzog uh refresh my memory what kind of, what, what's his film well he did the uh um grizzly man <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw Grizzly Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I guess like the, those two guys, I for me, and, and I guess I don't know documentaries as well as I know like films of certain decades, right? But like I, to me, those two guys really pioneered that style of documentary where it's like I don't know. I oh, I would just call it exciting documentaries. It's like like they move along in a way that's not super conventional, right? They'll like actually throw in like a little bit of their own take on the different subjects that they're covering. And they'll kind of like, yeah, again, it's, 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 it's about that like slick editing, but uh, in between, you know, like while someone's talking, you're getting a lot of like really cool visuals to go along with it. That it's, that is uh, of their creation, you know? So I think, I think that, um, you know, I recommend anything by Werner Herzog or Errol Morris. Um, Plus they're just, they're just interesting fellas. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you say we just do a whole like six months worth of episodes where every episode we just cover bowling for Columbine? <laughs> Man, I oof, I don't know. I see now he's a very famous documentarian who Yeah. Boy oh boy. I think I think history does does not look kindly on Mr. Michael Moore. 
these days. He did uh, his uh, Fahrenheit 11.9 was good. His, I think it's his <laughs> most recent one, but it's like, it is actually like pretty good. He's, yeah, he's sort of a divisive figure. But anyway, Jeremy. Yes, sir. We're way off topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this isn't a uh, some- <laughs> uh, munching bout more. <laughs> yeah, where we eat. <laughs> where we eat food while yeah. talking about Michael Moore. Right. This is a uh, dish about destination where we eat food and talk about final destination. Absolutely. And folks, we're on the, uh, we're on, uh, we're halfway there living on a uh, goddamn prayer. This is final destination three mm. uh, directed by James Wong. Ah, uh, uh, the Wong man returns. Long time no see. Long time uh, no so. see. Yeah, he uh, he directed the first film and uh, came back to direct number three, which uh, had the budget of $25 million and received a total gross of, drumroll please, $117.7 million. Dear God. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> <laughs> so what, this is 2006 we're in. So these... this. This franchise is so weird because it. I the first one, the first one came out in '01, mm-hmm. right before 9/11. Uh, the second one came out in '03. This one comes out in '06. I feel like when a horror franchise is like hitting their stride, they're coming out year after year. Like there was like four years in a row where there was a Saw movie. Yeah. Every Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like very. I don't know. Weird. It's almost like Chucky, like in the later versions of the Chucky franchise. They're, they're just, just kind of pumping like, them out. Yeah, but they're taking like taking several year gaps. Oh, between, so the opposite of pumping them out. There. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's it. That's really interesting to me. I wonder what is the what spurred on you know um, each each entry into the franchise. Like why. Why make a third one of these? Because I don't think two was received that favorably. I don't think people like two that much. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting I, to hear that it got another installment. I think it's probably one of those things where like, well, the first one was like so, you know, successful, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? It was a, kind of a success. Uh I don't know. So it's the I, old, like, the I old Chucky, see... the old Chucky treatment, where it's like exactly. Child's Play One was great, and then you know it never did as well as Child's Play One, but that that it was so famous the first go around that it was like keep it coming. Exactly. Yeah, it's it, currently right now. Final Destination Three has a forty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes uh, and an audience score of fifty seven percent. That sounds about right. <laughs> Actually, you know what? No, oh, we're. Uh, f- I, I, I was still thinking about Final Destination Two. Final Destination Three, I think, deserves higher. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely we'll had. I definitely, and I will just say right off the bat, I had much more fun with this film than I than I did with Final Destination Two. Jeremy, that's great to hear. Uh, yeah, I think this is like a favorite among a lot of the heads, the real heads out there. Yeah, the, the real uh, dusty heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, so t- 2006, Jeremy, what are you, uh, what the hell is going on in 06? Are you still in high school at this point? No way, dog. I graduated in 2005, uh, but then I did a year of community college, still living at my parents' house. And in 2006, though, around August, around my birthday, 
I moved out of my parents' house for the very first time, and I would never move in back with them. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I know. So many of my friends, and there's no sh- no shame at all, obviously. Like, this is this just has to happen when you're young and going into college and whatnot. Have to, like, kind of move back in with their parents, like, regroup, and then, like, get a job and, like, kind of go venture out, out again. I moved when I was, not, uh, I guess, 18 years old, and I just, I just stayed gone. It's it, To this day, I'm still bewildered that I've never had to move back in with them. I was thinking about that today. I was like, is that even an option anymore? Could I just do that? <laughs> Jeremy, I'm 30 years old, and I literally almost had to do that <laughs> uh, like one month ago. Yes. Yeah. See, it's, it's, it's hard to not move back in. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, man, I can't imagine. My parents are so great, but like cannot imagine just moving back after at this point right it'd be tough Uh, it'd be tough for sure but you know hey sometimes if we fall in hard times we have to do it but uh i was in yeah i was living in denton texas i was not yet going to unt which is the university there in denton i was just partying with my buds uh i moved in with my good buddy and then two of our other good buddies moved into an apartment right next door and that just became the party palace those two apartments. Yeah. Oh man, people going back and forth between Party Palace number one and Party Palace number two. Uh, <laughs> so much drinking of Keystone Lights. So much playing of Halo Two. It was. Uh, it was. It was a. It was a forceful summer. I'll tell you that much. I can smell. I can smell it right yeah, now. I you can, can smell. See- the, <laughs> there's like a certain smell that comes along with Halo Two and Keystone Light, <laughs> yeah. uh, and like a bunch of college. Yeah, boys, like a bunch of uh, college fucks. Yeah, what are you? What did? What were you doing in two thousand six? Oh six, I was a junior slash senior in high school. You know, this is around the time, and this isn't like I'm not not saying this to sound cool or anything. Although I do think this is a good band, but there was a year around this point where I had discovered Radiohead for the first time. Oh, hell yeah! And I went. I'm not exaggerating about a year where anytime I ever had the option to pick out what music I was listening to, whether it was on my iPod or like driving, I would just only listen to Radiohead. That's great. What album was your favorite? Uh, Hail to the Thief. Hail to the um, Thief? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Wow. That's the one that got me into them. Uh, but of course, your OK Computers, your Kid A's, your Amnesiacs. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm. But, a, I, I feel like Hail to the Thief and Amnesiac are the two kind of underdogs of yeah. of their of their like first run of albums, and then I think after what was that? What was that album they did? They came out with online back in like 2000. Uh, in rainbows. In rainbows. So I feel like after in rainbows, I really dropped off. I don't know what they've been doing. I know they've had albums come out since in rainbows, but. I, yeah, nothing that good. Yeah, uh, nothing. In Rainbows good. was like the last good Radiohead album. I will say that definitively on the podcast. I, I fucking uh, love In Rainbows, and I do like Hail and really the Thief and Amnesiac. But to me, it's all about that OK Computer and Kid A, baby. Yeah. Um. So some of the some of the films at this point, and Jeremy, I was I was still working at the movie theater during the. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Beginning yeah. of 06. You still had your oversized suit on. Just picture I it now. The suit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so some of the films that came out in 06, Jeremy, we've got The Departed, oh. Borat. Oh, okay. Can you imagine comedy before the Borat reference existed? No, I really can't. That's. I, I think it was just uh, Dumb and Dumber. That was what you quoted until <laughs> yeah, Borat came yeah. out. Yeah. 
I still can't tell the Borat when people say like my wife and stuff. That's ironic, right? Um, is there a a sweet spot between irony and also like fun? We actually all do like this nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I think, part of me yeah. hopes that it's like not just like we're making fun of this because I think I do think Borat was like one of the funny like. One of the best like comedy movies. Yeah, probably. It's very funny. It's also there is like this brand of comedy which I'm a big part of and I very much love, where you do like kill your darlings, like you do make fun of good comedy. Like yeah. I make fun of the Lonely Island all the time, and they're and they're really great. Like Lonely Island makes good stuff, but I make fun of like them like thinking it's funny to just start rapping in an office a lot like because it, it's funny to like i don't know it's funny to shred on even good comedy <laughs> exactly um so casino royale little miss sunshine the prestige apocalypto mm. uh i can't remember if this is like before or after the mel gibson it was after cheeseburger oh, okay it was after uh, apocalypto uh, <laughs> came out post we didn't like mel gibson anymore and you know, say what you want about Mel Gibson, a testament to how good he is at directing film, people still liked Apocalypto despite yeah. <laughs> that he's a monster. Like yeah. <laughs> But but that movie is interesting, right? Like it's like all done in like that that like um like isn't it all done in like that language, like that lost language and like shot like super beautifully and stuff? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it like when I it came it. out. I love it. Um, you know, there's a movie. Uh, I'm not going to remember the name of it. There was a movie that came out in 07 um, or 08. And I, or maybe at the beginning of 08. Uh, or sorry, 2018. Uh, and I went to this movie and I thought it was like okay, but I thought it looked like shit. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like amazed that a movie had made it to to a theatrical release, like looking how this movie looked. Okay. And I was talking to it with a friend of mine, uh, talking about it with a friend of mine afterwards who she said she had seen the movie as well. And I was like, yeah, like I thought it was okay, but it just looked like shit. And she was like, no, I thought it's amazing, actually. It's like an amazing feat because it was all shot on an iPhone. Oh. So I guess this movie was just like, why are people shooting movies on iPhones? That's <laughs> <is> my question. <laughs> Wait, what movie are you talking about? Are you talking about um the Tangerine? It took place in like a site like a like a fucking like mental hospital or something. Oh, Unsane? Uh, Unsane, yeah. Oh, the Steven Soderbergh film. Yeah, the Soderbergh movie. Yeah. That came out like a year ago. Yeah. Wait. Why yeah, you bring? Wait, wait. 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 I missed. I missed the beginning. Why did you bring this up? <laughs> um. Why did I bring this up? <laughs> did he make a movie in 2006, or or are you are you referencing something that happened in? Oh 2006? no, 2018. Uh, I don't know. I feel like there was something that led me to think of that anecdote. Anyway. I, uh, well, but I I also think that's very funny. Like that. Like to dismiss. Like because it. it like I get that there it's a feat to make a film with yeah. like an iPhone or like I remember like isn't is Tangerine all made with an iPhone or is it's it's made with like a dash cam for like a Kia Soul or something crazy like 
it's like uh but but you're right at the end of the day it's like well you could have just bought but a fucking going, camera <laughs> yeah but like going in to see this movie not knowing that it was shot on an iphone i just came out of it thinking like wow that didn't look very good right like, I don't know. If I if yeah. I had like known beforehand that it was shot on like the thing that was in my pocket the whole time, I would have been like maybe impressed with it. But yeah, uh, for sure. Soderbergh yeah. has done that before, though. Um, there's a movie called Bubble he did. With, it's all shot on a Canon XL1, which is like the very first uh, camcorder I had in college, and um, and uh, yeah, it's like it's like he he can he gets like these big budgets to make like Ocean's Eleven, and then he'll make like a Bubble or an unsane or a girlfriend experience where it's like just an extremely low budget shot on nothing. Um, and I like that he does it. He's a, he's a fucking weirdo. He's a guy that I've never really looked into too hard. And now I'm kind of regretting it. Like we should, we should do some soda. We should do something with Soderbergh later. Yeah. Something we're drinking soda and talking about. Yeah. Soda. <laughs> we're, di- yeah. We're soda, soda Berg. There's something there. I-, I see where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can workshop this. Uh, we'll workshop it all weekend. Yeah. We'll, we'll get like a cabin like Boney Vair does to record their albums. Yeah. 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 That's we'll necessary. Just, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, uh, speaking of like films, this will tie it back to 2006 films that were shot on like unconventional things inland empire came out in 06 Ooh. and that was all shot on like a handheld sony camera right famously no one wants to do lip and belt lynch um so yeah uh, i don't think people are into it <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna shoehorn our david lynch stuff when <laughs> like we, our david yeah, lynch combos we in can. as much as possible <laughs> yeah uh talladega nights came out this year which is i feel like marks the beginning of the end for the will ferrell reign of comedy it probably is the last funny Will Ferrell movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 06, pretty whatever year. Better than, what was the one we talked about last time? Like 2003 oh, three or something? Like yeah. This is dud. also, I was going to say, yeah. this also, this is a fucking bad year. This is not a good, you know, it's a bad year yeah. when failure to launch is in your like Google, it comes up in 2006 films <laughs> yeah. when you Google it. Although I do remember like this was a good Academy Awards because this was like the three, um, uh, th- the three Mexican filmmakers, right. Who like the three Spanish filmmakers who all got into the Oscars, right. With Babel. Oh, okay. Um, children of men and, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Right. And they yeah. were, yeah, they were like compared to like, uh, you know, Spielberg's, uh, uh, Coppola and George Lucas at the time, like like their little like cool hip filmmaker boys club type thing, um, and that obviously wouldn't be the last we saw of those three. In fact, all three of them have since won, uh, have best picture under their belt. Oh, great! Yeah, I still think Final Destination three was snubbed, but <laughs> yeah, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead snubbed for the Oscar. A yeah. best actress. Uh, so yeah, we got in this film. We got Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, Ryan Merriman, Chris Larochi, Lemke. I couldn't tell. Never mind. Alex Johnson, Sam Easton, Jesse Moss. No one knows who most of these people are. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is probably like the most known person. I guess I just recognize her name, but. 
Yeah, and I and I, and I definitely recognized um, Ryan Merriman too. I recognized him, but I didn't. Oh, okay. Uh, I couldn't tell you something else he was in. He played the roller coaster, right? <laughs> yes, he's he he is the roller coaster. Um, which was a bold choice for them to cast the actual coaster. So, just a little. <laughs> this is, uh, speaking of off the rails, this is uh, <laughs> just some trivia from from Final Destination Three. Uh, the cast members on the roller coaster had to ride the coaster twenty six times on the same night oh, yeah. in order to shoot the film's main premonition scene. I would go insane, Jeremy. That's good stuff. Uh, That's good stuff. What? What's your like history with roller coasters, by the way? Good question. Uh, seriously, very good question. Uh, I used to love roller coasters, and now Same. I like every fucking person in their 30s probably get really sick when I get on roller coasters. I like get nauseous. A lot of times I'll black out from the force, like from how fast they're going. And so I can just like hear stuff when I'm on them, but I can't see anything. Um, yeah, so they've become less and less enjoyable. It, it's it's weird. When I was a kid, I used to love Six Flags because they had like badass roller coasters with loops and cool shit. But yeah. as I've gotten older, I much more prefer Disneyland because it's like slow roller coasters where you look where you like look at stuff, <laughs> right? And you get to right. enjoy like the ambiance. And uh, I guess that's more my vibe these days. But, you know, if everyone, if my all my friends plan a trip to Six Flags, I'd probably still go. What about you, Eric? Are you a big coaster head? Uh, you know, I used to be. It was like a fun thing. My mom and I were both like really into, I, I mean, she wasn't like really into them. I think she would just ride them because she could tolerate them. And I liked them. But that was always like a bonding thing for me and my mom. We'd always like, my sister and my dad would go on like the teacups or something at Six Flags and then we would we would hit up the you know whatever the roller coasters were at the time uh the devil's asshole or whatever right. they always have these like insane names uh that like don't sound like things that you would want to trust your life with but mm-hmm. but yeah I remember I always liked the wooden roller coasters um cuz they I liked them because they felt unsafe uh, and then as I like have grown o- older, I just, I probably will never ride any roller coaster again. But in high school, there were two things that happened where I just decided I don't like roller coasters anymore. One, my friend Josh was, uh, at Six Flags Great America riding, uh, what was my favorite roller coaster at the time. It was called the Scorpion. And it was this wooden roller coaster where when you get to the bottom, you're like weaving in between the, the boards, like the actual structure of the higher part. Okay. So they really stress like don't put your arms, don't like reach out of the car because you will lose an arm. Right. And uh, my friend Josh was like riding <laughs> the ride. Why? This was like a huge news story. And he was on the same ride as this kid who stuck his arm out. And it, his arm literally just got taken completely off. What? Uh, yeah. This is yeah, your so friend? My, yeah. My, it wasn't my friend who lost his arm, but it was a, uh, he was on the same car Holy at the same shit. time. Yeah. And then one time when I was at Six Flags, uh, there was a... Roller coaster got stuck upside down for like more than an hour. 
That's fucked up. Uh, that is yeah. fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'll probably never ride roller coasters again. Uh, let's see. The uh, Tony Todd, who played the mortician in the first two films, provides the voice of the devil above the entrance of the roller coaster. Did you recognize that, Jeremy? Uh, what? What? Recognize what? Tony Todd is the voice of the devil. Oh, yeah. In, no, I didn't uh, recognize it, but I did read it. I did read it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, the end was reshot reportedly because of some unfavorable reactions at preview screenings. Uh, this also happened with the previous two films in the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the f- previous films in the series, the post-disaster deaths are foreshadowed in the opening credits. You know, there's all sorts of trivia we can go through, Jeremy. <laughs> I, and, love, uh, I love us giving up on trivia so fast. <laughs> when it's like... I gotta say, <laughs> my favorite part about... Like, the Chucky trivia was so... Uh, fun. <laughs> I- fun and interesting. With these, these movies are just all over the place, and my favorite part about talking about them is just fucking talking about these gruesome deaths oh yeah for sure why don't we dive right in uh i could take us through the plot jeremy and uh this is um hold on one second here so high school student wendy christensen uh visits an amusement park for a mckinley high senior class field trip along with her boyfriend jason uh, her best friend, Carrie Dreyer, and Carrie's boyfriend, Kevin Fisher. Uh, she's not enjoying herself. I never, I don't understand. So I guess she was like in charge of taking pictures for her, for her yearbook. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. I don't know. At that, the, while that, I was that, watching that this, I was yeah. like, is that weird? But <laughs> I didn't realize it's like. A class, a class trip, kind of a thing. But she's really into this uh, taking pictures for the yearbook thing, uh, right? So as they board the Devil's Flight roller coaster, Wendy has a premonition that the hydraulics securing the seatbelts and coaster cars will fall or fail during the ride, killing everyone on board. Yeah, uh, yeah. So this is our big opening to the film, right? Like this is our big catastrophe. Yeah, uh, of it, which there are like you know the, I think every Final Destination it owes it to us at this point now <laughs> to show us some fucking cool uh, intro deaths. It's so weird how they show us like it's almost like the craziest moment of the film happens right away, uh-huh. right? Because she's I mean she's like minimizing because she has this premonition she like minimizes the death count and everything uh, right. in a way right yeah I mean but I, I, when I, we <laughs> see this vision it's just like the the absolute create like the worst possible scenario I was gonna t- also mention too that um for my money this is the worst intro I've seen so far uh I did not really care for this roller coaster malfunctioning uh death scene it felt actually kind of cheap um which is which which started the film off to me on a bad foot off on the wrong foot but uh, i feel like it actually has some really disgusting disturbing later deaths which i th- i feel like it's 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 kind of flipped from like my expectation coming out of the first two films the first film has the airplane which is great 
I mean, that's a great way to start the series off. The second film yeah. has a very elaborate uh, car death scene, like a traffic uh, explosion kind of kind of situation. And both those to me felt more elaborate, well thought out, and well more like well planned than like I think like six people die the same way, just falling out of the roller coaster and splatting yeah. on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I I definitely see like why they would pick a roller coaster uh for for one of these. I do think it's like a fun setting, but yeah, you're right. It's like the way that it's executed is like a little bit compared to like what we've come to expect with these movies. Yeah, I think it preys on that fear that we all have of roller coasters. So I was excited when I you know, when you see you know, obviously you see the cover of the films of roller coaster and when you're getting into it, I was I was hyped as fuck, but cuz I thought they were going to do a lot more clever ways people can die on a roller coaster right like like and here's one no one's no one stood up and got their head chopped off by anything (laughs) that is like a fear i've always had of roller coasters that's a pretty obvious one to me and no that didn't happen to anyone most people literally just fell out (laughs) yeah 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 um so how what do you by the way i gotta say like out of um, there are a lot of characters in this that I like already want, like <laughs> not necessarily want to die, but I'm just like excited to see how they die in these in this movie. Hell like, there's yeah. a lot of unlikable people, like shitty teenagers. Yeah, Lewis uh, was Lewis Romero was my like absolute like can't wait. See the pervert guy? No, he was the athlete, the guy that like calls uh Mary Elizabeth oh, Winston yeah. a bitch and then slaps a girl on accident. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was. I couldn't wait for him to go. Obviously, Ian McKinley couldn't wait for him to go. Uh, he's like the goth guy. Yeah, which by the way, like that that line where he's like, "Why do I have to have?" I think this is later, but he's like, "Why is my name the same name as my high school?" And then it like comes up later that like it was obviously just a very poor setup to i can't remember how it ties into the film but like <laughs> just like a line that like no one would ever say right uh, th- and then there was the the like pervert guy who's just like i mean this guy this guy wouldn't exist ex- it wouldn't wouldn't last a second in uh like culture today this fucking oh no the frankie dude that's cheeks? Like taking pictures <laughs> yeah frankie cheeks yeah well his name wouldn't last a second in this in this day and age are you kidding no one trusts a guy named cheeks get out of here yeah Yeah. uh yeah no he Uh, literally is holding during the fucking uh catastrophe scene he's holding a video camera saying show me your tits to uh a a woman in front of him yeah it's Uh it's disgusting it's not even like sometimes like this character could have been played up as like more of a pathetic, like horny loser in like a funny way. Sure. But this guy just sucks. And I wonder if like some some of that was just we want you to like be excited for this guy to die. But uh but yeah, unlikable I don't like any of these characters pretty much. Uh so as they board, uh yeah, Wendy has a premonition. Uh she panics and a flat a fight breaks out. Uh, a very like teenage fight mm-hmm. and then 10 people leave or are forced off the ride, including herself, Kevin, Ben, uh, best friends, Ashley and Ashlyn. The Ashes. Alums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Ashleys from recess are also right, in this movie. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Frankie cheeks, Louis Romero, Ian, Aaron, you know, when we're recapping these movies, like 
there's always this moment at the beginning we do, where we're just listing off these names where like we all know that all of them are going to die. I know. And their names so don't matter. And they even keep trying to make their names matter by like naming them after famous like horror film icons. Like that's still that's the same in this film. Like Christensen is named Wendy Christensen is named after the the guy who made the film Haxon, Right. Oh, really? Yeah, it's somewhere yeah, in the okay. uh, <laughs> it's somewhere in the <laughs> trivia, but yeah. yeah, it's 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 the same. It they I don't know. It does it, it doesn't matter. There's just so too many names. Yeah, uh, yeah. Benjamin Christensen. That's the name of the director who directed Haxon. So I went to uh, high school with a Ben Christensen. Not a good guy. Not a good guy. Yeah, Haxon nope. though. Very good mo- movie. <laughs> Is it? I don't even. It know is. It, is. Yeah, it's a Criterion. Um, it's a horror film. Horror Criterion film from nineteen twenty-two. Oh, okay. Very good. Uh, several weeks later, Kevin tells Wendy about the explosion of Flight One Eighty and the subsequent deaths uh, of the survivors, believing they may be in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. So, the same thing that happened in Final Destination 2. Yeah, something about the number 180. That's all I remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is I got I mean, this is the same movie as Final Destination 2 without the uh the weird like pregnant woman part. Yeah, exactly. Um, of the plot. Mhm. And uh I'm pretty sure the subsequent films are it's these are all just like the same formula applied to different uh characters and locations I guess. right yeah but somehow this one i have so much more fun with even having seen this one like a few times uh oh i mean for sure granted, if you keep it was a long re- time if, ago if you keep remaking a fun movie it's still fun but it is still it is a remake i mean it is like just re- literally rehashing the exact same beats of the first yeah. one, you know, or it's, I guess the second one. Well, I guess the first two. So far, they've 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 not they have not broken um, from tradition, except this one. We'll get into it, but it kind of does, and I'll point out when it when I feel like it does here pretty soon. Yeah, it may, that's kind of what I've like come to really like about these movies too. By the way, is you know what you're getting into, sure, like exactly sure. what you're getting into, um, and you know that it's not going to challenge you like psychologically, and you're just going to kind of get this like. I think we talked about it with two, where like the way that these people die, it like pl- it's it it plays like comedy, even though it's not always funny, and it's more like shocking and fucked up, like. It plays with your mind, like, in the same way as, like, a comedy sketch would every time someone dies. Um, But, yeah, so Wendy believes Kevin is mocking her and leaves. uh, But later, Ashley and Ashlyn are burned to death (laughs) after being trapped in... Okay, let's talk about this Yeah, that. Uh, Yeah, I love love that the Wikipedia just, like, very quickly brushes over that in a very unceremonious way. These two ladies, by the way, before this, they are, uh, they like invited Wendy to go tanning with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like, no. And then I, one of the girls, one of the girls has a line that's like, that was like so nice of us to do or whatever. Like a very, it kind of, I thought it was kind of funny, but right. also like very poorly delivered, mm-hmm. uh, line. And, uh, they, so they show up to this, 
tanning salon that they presumably go to all the time Mm -hmm. that the owner or the guy that works there is just like knows them and like already is just annoyed with them from previous experiences yet he just lets them go and to use this like expensive dangerous equipment like by themselves knowing that they're like dumb and annoying uh right yeah i mean have you ever been tanning before eric no and that's what i'm wondering is like how does this whole process work i feel like it should be far more uh I don't know, uh, supervised than this? <laughs> no, no way. It's not, it's not, it's not supervised because you're getting naked. Like, so it can't really be supervised. I mean, maybe hmm. it could, but so what it is, is you go into tanning beds and you just set it for a time and a temperature, I think. And, and I, I, I've been tanning during one weird part of my life where I was tanning for prom for some reason, like my girlfriend at the time was making me go tanning with her. And yeah, I remember this. This was a couple of years ago, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And um, <laughs> well, it was her prom. I was, uh, yeah, I was, st- yeah. I was in my mid forties at the time, but she was, <laughs> she was going to prom and I, uh, yeah, it, it, you just go into a room by yourself. You take off all your clothes and you get into these like plasticky beds that you trust have been wiped down since the last person was in there. And, uh, yeah, you just tan for whatever and you relax, you like chill out the, the thing that, so there's, there's a couple films one is, I, I know what you did last summer too, I believe. Right. Or I still know what you did last summer that has a very hmm. famous tanning bed scene. And there's this one, um, you can't like, you can't get locked inside of them. Like, they, like, uh, obviously not. Right. Like there's. There is safety. Uh, there are safety design. There are design principles in mind for safety here that wouldn't allow you to get stuck in them. You can just. You just. All you have to do is like push up on the on the ceiling of it, and, yeah. it, and it just and it just goes up. There's no lock. You can't lock someone in. I mean, you could chain them in, I guess, but I can't remember. In the case of this, like nothing's keeping them inside. I don't think, right? Like it's not like well, a big I, box falls on top of one of them. No, what what happens is, oh man, I don't remember the exact situation, but like some type of a like rod or like pole type thing gets jammed in between both of the latches on like each machine. Mm-hmm. So neither of them can open it. Right. But then also like up above their heads, if they were to try and go up out that way and squirm upwards, mm-hmm. there was like a big fan, which I don't know if that's like really a thing in a tanning salon. And then yeah. uh, at their feet, I think there was something fell down or something. Uh-huh. So they were like locked in there. Uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like don't understand. This is like a situation where I was like, "Well, I guess I'm just trusting like this is how this works or whatever." I mean, um, I mean, in typical Final Destination fashion, no, that isn't that could not happen. But yeah. I will say that a lot also in typical Final Destination fashion, it is preying on a fear that everyone who's ever been tanning has. Which is like you go into this, you are enclosed in a in a small like machine, and it has that vibe of like being in a uh, what is it like a a set a sensory deprivation tank like where you're just like you just trust that you're not gonna fucking die in there because like you you 
can't, you know, it's sort of like, a, it's sort of the same fear that roller coasters have where you're like, the chances of me dying in this thing are like incredibly small, but you, you know, you're still like afraid, like what if? So I think it's like, and you, and it's also you trusting a machine. So I think in both cases, the death is like, the deaths are pretty apropos, but yeah, I got to say for Ashley and Ashlyn, this is the most hardcore, brutal death of I think anyone I've seen so far in a final destination film, this is fucking (laughs) awful. They, the machines get of course, hotter and hotter and hotter until like the light bulbs shatter inside. So cutting them with glass while they're being roasted alive until they finally just burst into flames. (laughs) That room would smell fucking awful. Oh my God. Oh, yeah, I've never smelled like a burning. I don't think I've smelled like burning flesh before. No, just my uh, own. I've heard it's just god awful. Yeah. Uh, I've smelled like burning hair before. Yeah, and that's awful. Like that's really really gross. Um, but yeah, these they really get uh, <laughs> they really get fucked up in this, dude. And the worst uh, part is when you see their little fingers trying to get out of the machine. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. dude. It's it is it. It really, uh, it impressed me how disturbed I was <laughs> with this scene. I yeah, was like, yeah. oh no, this is bad on another level I didn't realize I, I wasn't in for. <laughs> and by the way, the guy uh, who's working there who like stuck the tube... What a dumb thing to do. You know what I mean? When you like try to like keep the door open for, with like the end of a tube like the bottom end of a tube of like mm-hmm. lotion or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i don't know if that would actually like the cap would twist off in that situation maybe not actually but it seems like it was a dumb call yeah it, uh, yeah uh, yes it was <laughs> yeah yeah very much so but ashley and ashlyn they get they get it worse than anybody else in the rest of the film or in the film well actually i don't know we'll get we'll get to more deaths but yeah, there's another which, death in here I that's forget. pretty disturbing too. But um, before I forget, Jeremy, uh, I came up with uh, with an idea. And Mark Cuban, Kevin O'Leary, uh, Barbara, uh, whatever your last name is, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Damon. Uh, if any of you Shark Tank guys are listening, uh, tanning bed roller coaster. That's all I gotta <laughs> say. Hit me up, uh, <laughs> ch- Chucky Rules four twenty at gmail dot com. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're willing to accept. We'll talk. We'll talk about it. Um, we're willing so to see. accept payment in the form of Patreon subscriptions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Wendy believes. Okay, we already did that. Did we talk about the tanning beds? Yeah. Are you kidding? Uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> what if I just? Uh, okay. <laughs> now convinced that death is stalking them. I like when you read these Wikipedia entrants. Uh. Death is always capitalized. Yes. Death is a, is a, you character. know, just like how New York is a character in Main Streets, death is a character in this film. <laughs> uh, Wendy and Kevin decide to save the remaining survivors using omens uh, hidden in photographs Wendy took on the night of the roller coaster crash. Uh, I kind of like this, actually. I like the whole uh, dumb little, like, high school, high school yearbook setup, and she has pictures of all this shit. Um, I don't know. I thought it was kind of fun. I also liked looking at like a 2006, like state of the art for the time Mac computer. Oh yeah. Uh, (laughs) 
that computer actually like looks pretty modern to me and that's like uh it's got to be like one of the newer ones from that time sure uh anyone i i would have known in 06 who had a computer like that would have been filthy rich right yeah i mean it's weird to think about but 2006 even though it's more than a decade away from us is still not like we had iPhones, right? Did the fir- um, first iPhone was I out by then? Yeah, I think. I didn't have a smartphone until like 2015 or something crazy. Oh, sheesh. I held out as long as I could. But uh, so Frankie dies when a. Oh, runaway I'm wrong. Truck. June 29th, 2007. So iPhones aren't around oh. yet. <laughs> Uh, Frankie dies when a runaway truck hits Kevin's car behind him in a drive-through uh, restaurant, which causing the motor. Yeah, yeah. We got to we got to talk about this because <laughs> each death I feel like is its own little fucking saga. So I, I I couldn't really tell from this scene. Did they know Frankie was ahead of them in line at this drive-through? No, I don't think they did. I don't think they noticed it because I think they kind of make a point of them like realizing who it is afterwards when they're like inspecting. Well, because yeah, because he found he finds that little like uh, metal like was a keychain or something of like a woman, a silhouette of a woman, and then they realize (laughs) that's like the clue that it's Frankie. Um, But yeah, this was like this is a pretty rad like how they set this up where like somebody crashes into their car from the side, and then the other side is blocked by the actual fast food joint, and no one will pull up or move backwards in line, so they're just stuck inside the drive-through. Um, and then, yeah, we see in, a, in the distance, a semi truck is just plummeting down a hill. Cause I guess the driver got out and left it in neutral or some stupid shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what we don't know is that Frankie's actually ahead of them two cars and getting like getting his food or whatever. So when the fucking semi finally crashes into the car that would kill Kevin and Wendy, they have already kicked through the windshield. Impossible to do, by the way. And uh, and then, yeah. And then instead of killing them, the car, you know, like it kind of hits, does that like car hits one car, hits the next car, hits the next car. Uh, it knocks something into Frankie's head. What is it? It's like an engine. It's like a weird fan. Yeah, it's just like a big chunk of metal i don't know but the, i think but, it i think it was like an engine but it yeah because it like it's like it's like it's like spinning or something because it like takes yeah. his head like, at first it just stabs his head and then it takes his whole head clean off <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's uh it's fucked up it rules mm-hmm. i love this i love this death too it's pretty good i will say it, it is one of the more tame ones because it's just like a kind of a one and done thing but yeah yeah but so this is where um i think this film is different than the other two films and that like in the other two films we had a lot more of like each person who's getting picked off by death kind of alone right and then and then now in this film it's like every subsequent death happens right in front of wendy and kevin right yeah, that's a good point. Like they, um, they for some reason they yeah. always happen to be there 
right when the death is happening. So instead of like in Final Destination 1 where these really cool lead-ups to a death where it's like the Rube Goldberg machine is going off, you know, and we see like the little like marble like hits the toaster strudel, which yeah, the package yeah. spills over, making the floor slippery, and then your hand gets caught in a blender, and like all this like crazy wind-up and fake-outs. It's pretty straightforward deaths. Like it is, yeah. Yeah, and and then and then uh, Alex Devin Sawa's character shows up like a little bit too late every time. Right, and I would and I would call these uh, these deaths uh, active. They're like way more active than the other than the deaths in the in the previous films. They're they're like it's like things are attacking you now, like in in a really crazy way. Like instead of a slow plotting, you can't you don't see it coming kind of way. Yeah. Uh, so the next day, they try to save uh, Lewis at the gym. I, the scene is so crazy. It's uh, so nuts. They're when they're all chanting. They're all yelling "fuck death." Oh, dude! <laughs> I was. Uh, they're really good at uh, the guys. Uh, Wong really, uh, really does a good job making making me like root for these deaths to happen. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just waiting for it. And I got fooled. I forgot about this one. I got fooled by the like little fake out that happens where we think that the uh, swords the guy, are going to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um and then he gets I don't even know what that machine is called because I am uh I I've literally I literally was shoved in a locker my freshman year of high school. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you just discovered you yeah. actually have arms like 3 weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've been uh, jerking off ever since. Uh, <laughs> I was using my I was using my damn feet before. Uh, but old Frankie he, cheeks over here. So Lewis uh, arrogantly dismisses them uh, shortly before two weights crush his head. <laughs> that is That's pretty a, brutal. It's pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah. It's a very pleasant way of putting it, but uh, they find Ian and Aaron working at a hardware store and. Wendy saves Ian from being impaled by uh, falling wooden stakes, mm-hmm. but Aaron falls on a nail gun and is shot repeatedly through the head. This might be, I don't know. I think burning alive is still worse than this, but that one yeah. sucked too. I hated that. Yeah, this one was brutal. Uh, yeah, her Ian, hand is just stuck to her face and she's like alive for a while while it's just like, it's so gross. <laughs> Ian looks like the fifth member of Sum 41, by the way. Yeah, oh, for like, sure. He, he, he looks like the tall so guy from the Sum 41. Yeah. Like the tall, skinny yeah, guy. You're absolutely, like you're the absolutely main right. Guy, yeah. 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 Um, so after local police uh, interrogate them, Wendy and Kevin leave the police station and decide to ensure their own safety after assuming the next uh, survivors on death's list have died, a grief-stricken Ian stalks wendy as she departs yeah so now he's uh, like because yeah. he's a goth daddy so he's like running around yeah. trying to avenge i guess the death of aaron because he thinks wendy did it because she knows about the deaths so he's like got this weird like motive it, it, it's a way to, it, it's yeah. a way that you see them early on trying to complicate the plot or give it another element but I don't know. We've kind of seen this behavior in Final Destination 1, no? With, like, the guy who drives the car fast. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Where he's yeah. grief-stricken, and he's and his girlfriend died, and he's like, 
I can't die. You know, like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm insane now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so Wendy learns that her sister Julie and a friend, uh, also escaped the roller coaster crash and she and Kevin rushed to the 300th anniversary McKinley tricentennial fair. And I think, by uh, the way, 300th anniversary tricentennial is very redundant. I think (laughs) it is implied with tricentennial that it's 300 years. Yeah. Um, Kevin say, what is it? Uh, oh, okay, never mind. Kevin saves Julie from being impaled on a harrow, um, but an airborne flagpole impales Julie's friend Perry moments later. Yes. Uh, Wendy saves Kevin from an exploding propane canister, and Ian, who has become unhinged and blames Wendy for Aaron's death, confronts the trio. Right. Uh, the unstable firework cannons fire at Wendy but she ducks and they explode on a cherry picker that falls and crushes Ian in half. Oh, I really like this one. I did too. Especially yeah. cause like also the use of the middle finger in this movie is really fun. Like how like Julie is like flicking yeah. off. Like, like that's when Wendy knows Julie's about to die is cause she's like double flicking off Kevin. And then a minute later, like Ian gets crushed by this sign. And like, so I was expecting sort of like a complete flat splat like uh the kid yeah. in final destination 2 who gets crushed by like the big uh glass <laughs> and right. and uh this one's crazy cuz the sign falls on him and instead of just completely just crushing him flat it cuts him in half and then his like his upper half is just like twitching on the ground but also flicking off Wendy <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it was very ch- uh, it's very man. child's play honestly very chucky I hope I go off I hope I go out flipping the bird I know dude it's such a funny way to go out <laughs> <laughs> so leading uh, so they, yeah then Wendy thinks she cheated death uh, five months later Wendy experiences more omens while riding a, a subway train with her roommate Laura and her friend scene. Uh, as wendy is about to disembark she sees julie entertaining the train uh or entering the train and decides to stay she later notices kevin sitting at the back um why how is he there how is he there i don't know well i don't even think it was explained they don't Uh, explain it yeah well wendy receives another premonition of the train derailing and killing everyone on board and she kevin and julie try to stop the train in vain okay uh <laughs> the, the screen then cuts to black followed by the sound of screeching metal yeah which i which i will say that i wish that this uh subway uh catastrophe was actually the beginning of the film and the roller i wish they would have switched it because the subway uh like catastrophe is so fucking good and looks so yeah. much better compared to the roller coaster one like it's it's actually really creative how people die like julie's at one point just standing uh, uh, like while the subway is going nuts and like a huge like weird like boulder just like takes her out like through one end of the subway out the other and then like right. the way kevin dies is fucking awful he's like being pushed against the glass and as as the whole subway is screeching against a wall and then the glass just gives out and like it like pulverizes his body head first, like as, as his whole body's like kind of going into it. It's, it's like destroy. It's like crushing his body head first through the window. It's like fucking so yeah. brutal. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, it's insane that, that, that ending uh subway scene, but also 
I was wondering, like, what were they? Were they in New York originally? Do they all go to New York? Is this not in New York? What subway I is this? Know. And and then the end is Wendy realizes she has the premonition, and then they just cut to black. When I guess like she didn't stop it from happening. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, I guess it's up to the. It's up to us to decide, Jeremy. Uh, oh, good. It's one of those. Is death still out there? <laughs> Was this film directed by Ari Aster? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see an Ari Aster final. Can you imagine? Uh, wow. We forgot. I can't even believe I. I this is. I. I can't believe I didn't even like start the episode with this, Jeremy. The moment where uh, Wendy is showing, uh, what's his name, uh, the picture of like Abraham talking about the Lincoln assassination, and then she shows him a picture of the Twin Towers with a shadow of an airplane on it. Do you remember this? No. You didn't see that point? Wait, where, uh, w- w- with what? In Final Destination 3, uh, Wendy is like talking about... Um, she's like explaining her kind of conspiracy about what's going on. And in doing this, she shows, um, what is the guy's name? Fucking, uh, Kevin. She shows Kevin a picture of like Abraham Lincoln and then a picture of the world trade center. Oh shit. And, uh, it's like implied that nine 11 happened in this universe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird. It's like a weird thing for this movie to do. Yes. This movie's only five years after nine eleven. Yeah. And it's famously its first film kind of uh it happened right before nine eleven. Like it was released. Yes, and they still reference that plane crash in this movie. Right. And they just like offhandedly talk about uh nine eleven. I I just thought it was very like weird and yeah. like, really, really funny. Yeah, very strange. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm going to read a little bit from the theme section of this Wikipedia because I think it's really interesting. Um, do you mind if I do so? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so three critical theories about final about the Final Destination franchise have been discussed in scholarly works. It has been framed as a postmodern horror franchise that, like the Scream franchise, self-consciously refers to the history of horror cinema and rewards viewers for their knowledge. Second, the films, particularly Final Destination 2009, Final Destination 5 2011, have been examined for their visual effects. Third, the the franchise has been criticized for being cynical and reductive. For example, film studies scholar Reynold Humphreys, that guy sounds stuffy, dismisses the franchise as uh, obscurant nonsense whose only idea is that death is an agency that has a plan for each of us. That's not what I wanted to read. This is what, more what I wanted to read. According to the to media studies scholar Eugene Brink, uh, Brinkema, Brinkema, uh, f- the Final Destination films are characterized by their move away from the typical horror and ticket uh, and antagonist and toward the certain uh the certainty and inevitability of death this makes them inconsistent with most other horror films which require a monster final destination films depart further from other horror films even those aimed at teenagers and that a family narrative is lacking and there are no hauntings of any kind as well there is no sexuality quote Neither the pursuit of pleasure in the slasher convention of uh, easy, easy bodily access, nor the monstrosity of sexual difference. Uh, Brinkema argues 
the films are not about seeking pleasure like typical slasher films. Instead, they are about the avoidance of pain and death. They are fundamentally bitter, paranoid, and sad and display the inability of characters to feel pleasure. In these films, death becomes its own cause. The premonition of the roller coaster derailment in Final Destination 3 is without context or cause. The avoidance of death by some characters grounds the the necessity of their deaths, specifically in order in in the order in which they would have died on the roller coaster thus death's list or death's design is realized final destination 3 spends as much time interpreting deaths as displaying them wendy's close analysis of photography uh, photographs allows her to understand the deaths but this is inevitably too late to save her friends in the franchise's films brinkema says one must closely read to survive for a spell, and yet reading changes absolutely nothing at all. Uh, thus, the characters might as quote might as well end quote have stayed on the roller coaster. Huh. I love it. I love that. I like that too. Yeah, I like that deep. Uh, uh, if you like deep film analysis, that's that's about that's you know that's as good as it gets. I think right there, that's pretty good. I wish I could think of it of about this movie on that level. To be honest yeah. with you, I wish I could be like a little bit more. I don't know. There's something about these movies. Like I don't mean to sound like I don't like these movies because I I really am glad that we're covering them. But there's almost a different uh, sort of enjoyment that I get out of them where I just like I said, like you know what you're getting. It's 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 like going into. Uh, there's certain horror movies like an Ari Aster film where mm-hmm. we can sit he, sit sit here and you know analyze Midsommar for two hours like we did in an episode sure. or uh, whatever. But then there's uh, your Final Destination, some of your Chucky movies where they're just fun. They're just good fun. Yeah, and there's nothing more else to look into it. Although I don't know, I don't know like. I like I, I I love it when people de- like kind of uh, search for like deep meaning and in, in in things, but I don't know. I find it like a little bit hard to believe that there was like quite that level of thought put into this. Sure, movie. and I don't. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know if if film scholars ever truly believe that about the like yeah. the creator relationship to the piece of work. I in fact I think that in most collegiate circles like you're supposed to kind of believe like the author is dead, right? Like the author doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter what they intended. This is like our interpretation is valid because of our analysis, right? So I think like to me I do think that he brings up a incredible point about these films. Like why these films to me are so inc- like profoundly unsatisfying is because they come from such a deep-rooted nihilistic cynical place that like you cannot do anything like you have no yeah. agency like death will come for you as it comes for all of us and you're and you continually trying to avoid it will only make things worse. It's like, it's also absurdist, right? It's like an absurdist mm-hmm. point of view. That's like, like the harder you try, the crazier and more absurd, like the universe like folds in on you. Um, and, and, and to me, like that's, 
like to me satisfying is the monster chases the group of teens and then like finally the the virgin or whatever the teen you know like the teen like gets fine like kills jason like that's satisfying like the catharsis of the end of texas chainsaw massacre right like to me that's like she got away like there's something exciting and and cathartic and uh satisfying about that but in final destination it's like as if like in the end of texas chainsaw the main character was driving away and a huge plane just crashed into the, the yeah, truck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, I don't know, Eric, but what did you think? what did you think of, uh, this third film? This is my favorite one. Uh, oh, great. Uh, so yeah. far. Yeah. It's uh, also my favorite so watched. far. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll give it, uh, you know, I'll give this movie a five out of five. Oh, plane five out of five plane crashes. Love it. Yeah. So I think my ranking goes like Final Destination 3, 1, and then 2. Um, but yeah, I really like this movie. I mean, I, I just think like all of my, most of my favorite kills from this franchise, I think, are in this movie from what I can remember. Um, I like the setting. Um, there is like a lot of nostalgia. This is the one that I probably like. I don't know if I've seen it the most, but like I saw it at just a point in my life where I just remember it. I remember watching it there. Like I had like a particular like movie night that I remember when I was in high school with some people where we just had a blast watching uh, this movie. And I think we watched like grandma's boy that night too, or something. Uh, And (laughs) yeah, I I, I just, I, I love this movie. Um, yeah, five out of five. What about you, Jeremy? Oh, it's a five out of five for me. I really dug it. I, I almost didn't. I, I, I was almost really off put by like how it started and just how unlikable all the characters were. But uh, no, it it ended up being one of the most fun examples of how you do one of these movies. I think for me, the first one and this one were like they definitely. I don't know. Like the first one had its like originality, and this one has its just straight out balls to the wall. Very fun. I, I think all the deaths are really fun and creative and kooky. And I think they're all super violent. And gosh, just for disturbing me in those two those two examples. Well, I guess one would be the the um, tanning bed scene. And one would be the nail gun scene. This definitely gets five plane crashes out of five. Plus, Eric, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, upon further investigation, I found out that the cast member who plays Louis Romero, that would be the jock, is uh his name is in real life uh texas battle (laughs) (laughs) no not kidding you his his name is texas quincy battle (laughs) god damn it (laughs) that's like a crazier name than clear rivers clear rivers is made up i know that's his real name dude you can't you can't make that up (laughs) <laughs> oh, if, man. if you're if you're a parent out there if you're like expecting a child you don't doing mad libs is not gonna get you a good a good name for your kid oh okay? my god <laughs> it's so good texas it's battle. so good texas battle wow um so jeremy do you have anything you want to plug or any last words? Hell no, dude. Go to the Patreon. Subscribe. Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. We got all kinds of good stuff up there, including our uh, our dark series, which is us just kind of going going the fuck off on uh, a subject of our choice. Uh, I think yeah. last week it was our top uh, hor- like our f- top film deaths, right? 
Mm-hmm. And then yep. this week it's going to be uh, we're going to do another Tales from the Crypt episode. We're excited to do oh, a yeah. couple of those a month now. Um, I'm super excited, especially after the one that we just watched that we're going to be covering shortly, which is going to be the Man Who Was Death, which is season yes, one, episode one episode. of Tales from the Crypt. So uh, yeah, like, subscribe, smash that like button, smash that subscribe button. <laughs> yeah, smash your head against the like button. <laughs> Type out a five-star review on iTunes with your teeth. With your teeth, dudes. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that's uh, all I have. Eric, you got anything? Uh, no. So we'll close this out with a, uh, a quote from the film Final Destination 3. Uh, and this is, a, this is a, quite a profound one, Jeremy, so just brace yourself. Okay. Fuck you, Ben Franklin. <laughs> Bye. See you.